everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, and pop culture. We also have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. We are going to be working on the new issue for the end of March. And, of course, you can catch us on Facebook, BJ Shays Geek Nation. You can catch us on Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central.com, Keyword Skewed, which is a network of newspapers that run our video game reviews. And we also have all kinds of nice syndication like sci-fi radio and uh, much more out there, open critics, so on and so forth. So Michael is away covering a basketball game tonight, so we will, uh, or more likely watching a basketball game, so we'll give him a hard time about that the next time we see him. But not to worry, we got Justin and Joey Z with us, and we've got a lot of interesting news, including some stuff that is just literally breaking from within the last hour. But before we get to that, I did want to mention a little bit of a movie um, situation that a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, what's this all about and how's this? Uh, we get a lot of movies that are offered to us to review that are from smaller independent companies as well as the big theatrical stuff that we go and see. Now, when we go and see the theatrical movies, we go to a theater, it's in a, a screening, we see them in advance. Those of you that follow us on social media, we know all about that. But we also get a lot of stuff where they send a link and say, hey, log in, check it out here. And recently I was uh, given the opportunity to check out a film called The Wendigo. Now, uh, it's an interesting film in that it is dealing with Native American uh, demons and spirituality. A Native American teen resurrects an ancient demon to protect his family from drug dealers in the area. And, of course, like anything, when you summon a demon, controlling it is not always the easiest thing to do. And you have to break the curse before things get out of hand and uh, so on and so forth. Interesting film uh, dealt with a lot of uh, supernatural elements. Uh, Native American cast to it. It was very well performed, well shot. And while it wasn't a traditional hack and slash film, seeing something that was a little different from a different perspective uh, certainly made it entertaining. And I think people will really enjoy it if they give it a chance, log in and take a look. The, the visuals from it are quite interesting. And it was kind of nice to actually see uh, some different faces in the production uh, and it told a pretty interesting story, so definitely check that out. All right, gentlemen, so uh, as we are recording this, word has just come down about EA making massive layoffs, uh, not as much as Sony, which we'll talk about later, but the word that we're hearing, even though it was just talked up a few days ago, is that um, EA is going to lay off 5% of their workforce, roughly 700 people, and there'll be a reduction in development and licensed IPs. It's already come out that apparently a third Titanfall game got canceled. And what we're hearing now is that Respawn Entertainment's single-player Star Wars Mandalorian-themed game has also been uh, canceled. The focus will now be on titles such as the Jedi Fallen Order series and the Apex Legend franchise. EA's apparently been moving away from licensed IPs. Uh, but this is just another example of massive layoffs in the industry. Justin, we'll start with you. What do you make of this, and is this a shock for you? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's as much of a shock just because we had heard about the Sony um, layoffs, which you had mentioned earlier, and we'll, we'll talk about them in more detail. So I think this is kind of um, indicative of the, of the environment right now. I, I, I think this is unfortunately not likely to be the last uh, that we hear about this. Um, a lot of the a lot of companies seem to be re you know restructure not not really restructuring but they're um kind of going through the through motions of uh of adapting to uh a new environment it is troubling though um particularly with EA because with as in particular with with respawn it seemed like they were kind of on an upward trajectory the the Jedi fallen order series seemed to be very popular um and so to hear like specifically targeted um with with some of their projects is uh is a real bummer especially titanfall i I like titanfall and titanfall 2 a lot so to hear that uh uh, allegedly titanfall 3 was one of the things that um uh one of the projects that suffered from this uh that that's sad to hear um and it's also a little surprising too that EA is shying away from licensed games because because typically you would think that licensed games were a little more of a of a sure thing. I mean, if you're building up a new IP, uh, that can be very risky. Um, but a license, you know, licensed games they do have a negative connotation to them, but you are working with like a, a well-established franchise usually. So that is kind of surprising to hear that they're shying away from that. Um, but I guess it, what it means is that they're likely going to be making more sequels to games that are popular, the, the ones you had mentioned. So the Jedi Fallen Order series uh, and Apex Legends. Uh, likely some of their other franchises will become, you know, the bigger focus. So Battlefield, uh, that's a sure one. Obviously, they, their sports franchises will, will continue on as well. Um, I, I wouldn't really be more troubled than that uh it's a it's a bummer to hear about a lot of those projects but uh you know you look at the grand scope of things ea has gone through a lot of these companies have gone through different phases um and and really i would say my favorite era of ea was uh, right after you know they had had a very very tough period where they um struggled very badly financially and they came out of it you know, in the mid two thousands with games like mass effect, uh, mirrors edge and dead space. So, um, it's one of these things where these, these companies go through phases and ebbs and flows. So hopefully this is just something where, uh, they'll come out brighter on the other side. And, uh, what are you making of all this? Yeah, I would agree with Justin. Uh, I think this is one of those interesting uh, responses we see to almost the COVID gut being finally cut from a lot of these studios. Uh, You know, we had a huge uh, expansion in 2020, 2021, where there was a lot of money to be thrown around because push as many games as you can out right now while people are at home. And now we're into 2024 and we're seeing the companies kind of cut away that a little bit, want to kind of tighten up their budget and make sure that their investments are going into more uh, sure things. Apex Legends makes a lot of uh, sense to me. It's very popular. The uh, Battle Royale genre is huge right now. Call of Duty is proving that uh, Battle Pass model within that genre can make a ton of money. And it seems like they want to reinforce things that they kind of own or, you know, at least have a proven track record. Um, I am with uh, Justin on the fact that seeing the Titanfall series get canceled is unfortunate. 
was really looking forward to seeing a third one of those. But we'll have to hold on and see. Uh, and I assume we're going to see most uh, big companies make these same kind of similar moves. Let's tighten the budget. Let's make sure we know where we're going in 2024 and probably through around 2025, 2026. Yeah, and it's just it's disturbing because there's been a history of Star Wars games that get started and don't get finished. And I know a lot of people are very touchy about that. And, you know, let's remember Star Wars 1313. Uh, that I remember getting a preview for at E3 many years ago. And it's funny because we just had some news the other day that Ahmed Best, who we all know from playing Jar Jar Binks, as well as playing Keller and Beck in uh, The Mandalorian, he's come out and has been all over social media in recent days saying, um, you know, motion capture work on a project, won't say what the project is, but added the hashtag Star Wars, Jar Jar Brinks, Activision, Jedi, Sith Lord, and Keller and Beck. Well, this came out uh, right there, and they're talking about, oh, yeah, and they're working on Jedi Fallen Order's uh, next game, and they're also working on this Mandalorian uh, title. And within hours, now all of a sudden we hear that the game is canceled. So if it is the same thing, and you're thinking, man, that curse of Jar Jar Binks is ruthless. I mean, seriously. But it, it just shows you the trouble that is going on in the industry. Like, for example, we heard news the other day that Sony's laying off 900 people from their various game divisions. And this is having a trickle-down effect. We already had talked about, hey, there's not going to be any significant uh, exclusives coming in the next year or so, uh, but so on and so forth. And then, we even though that season two of the show is in active production, we got word that a um, new game, which was to be a live service reboot of Twisted Metal, has been canceled. Now, you would think that writing a hit series would be the exact time that you want to put a new game out. Even when they've already said, we're committed to the series, we've got another season coming, and you basically say, yeah, you know what, we're not going to make any more video games for the series. At the very least, remaster the three original ones, something. And it's just like, nope, it's not going to happen. And apparently they were actively in the development of this. And they're saying it was only an early development. It hadn't been fully greenlit. But at least they were moving uh, things around, looking at options for something new and the Twisted Metal franchise. So uh, we'll start with you, Joey Z. What do you make of this uh, latest news from Sony? And uh, do you think this is a trend of bigger things to come from other companies? I would expect it to continue, yeah, amongst all the companies. Um, you know, you talked about, talked about Twisted Metal a little bit. Uh, there's this problem within the gaming industry, that, at least in my opinion, that you know, besides maybe Harry Potter, you know, making a, a, a one-player game, uh, you know, a singular game where you're not selling battle passes and it's a one-time purchase, it's a difficult thing to sell in the gaming industry now unless you have a really big IP to attach to it. Because how are you going to keep making your money? Players want, you know, and, and you're not going to hit that ceiling as well, right? Because player, you want your players to continually to be able to spend money in your games. That's why we see these battle passes doing so well. And I think every major gaming company is looking at it and going, well, if we're going to greenlit games in the future, is there a way we can incorporate a battle pass or a way we can get skins into the game so they can keep buying stuff? Because if we're going to keep servers alive, 
or if we're going to encourage online play, we need to keep making money. And on top of that, if we're going to make a single-player game that doesn't have a big IP, if we're going to try to create a Bioshock or a Mass Effect or a Metal Gear Solid, what is going to drive players to play these games? And I think really Sony was the only one in my mind that really did it so well where I was like, okay, I can believe that they're going to get someone on board who's going to make me want to play these games. But even now, it's like, well, we saw that their, uh, their recent PlayStation show that it, it was okay. Were people really hyped about it? So... I think these cuts are kind of a writing on the wall of where gaming development's going to go and where money's going to go. You know, outside of the indie industry, obviously, that still puts out a great amount of work, and you'll find, you know, something like Powell, for instance, that just comes out of nowhere. It can really grab people. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, your take, please. No, that's that's definitely right. And, and Joyce, you kind of got me thinking that, uh, you know, I think there's dynamics at play that have kind of always been true about the gaming industry where um what's what really works and is the thing that companies chase um obviously changes over time and right now it's kind of the live service model um but even then it's what what's so difficult about it is you can't exactly just make a live service game and then expect it to to take off you know to me it, what it reminds me of is you know early iterations of this are MMO, so World of Warcraft takes off, becomes a huge hit phenomenon. Suddenly, all these companies are making uh, MMORPGs, but none of them can be the WoW killer. Or, you know, you have uh, Halo or Call of Duty, and you have a bunch of people, a bunch of companies that make uh, games with very similar multiplayer models, but none of them end up becoming the Call of Duty killer or the Halo killer. Um, you know, and now we're we're kind of in in that same phase with live service games. And what's difficult about it is you never know really which which are going to become the huge phenomenon. It's like basically impossible to predict. So like Pal, like uh, what Joey Z mentioned, Pal World took off, Hell Divers two took off, but and it looks like in either case, neither company really was expecting it. Um, you know, in the case of Pal World they ended up having to scramble to find the server space to uh, uh, to accommodate all of their players and ended up with a with a bill of uh, close to half a million dollars for basically one month of server uh, capacity. Um, so that's what's so challenging about it. But Joey Z's right. A lot of companies, if you're going to be pitching a game, they're likely going to be asking you, uh, so producers, if they're going to be footing the bill, they're going to be asking, okay, how are we going to get uh, whatever it is, microtransactions or uh, ways to monetize continually over time with either a battle pass or DLC or, or something along those lines. Um, with Sony, I guess what's kind of surprising to me is that I think Sony was able to find a good balance and equilibrium where they were able to release a, a number of extremely popular games that really don't f need that to work so last of us last of us part two uh the god of war games um a lot of those are just extremely high quality um but they release so seldomly that i think that's kind of the issue sony's running into you uh joyzy brought up a good point that uh you watch a lot of the latest Sony state of plays and there aren't a ton of huge grabbers um, that are releasing at a regular pace. Um, 
they'll release God of War Ragnarok and it will sell several million copies. But then, you know, there's a lull period where we're waiting for the next thing from Sony Santa Monica, which will probably take another five or six years or seven years to come out. Um, same thing with uh, with Naughty Dog. So I think that's kind of where Sony's struggling and a lot of these other companies, um, you know, there's different dynamics at play. And I guess what's what's difficult uh, to, to stomach is that Sony is really it does seem like have have made a lot of the right moves, but are still struggling. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's probably just a low period. Other companies probably are going to go through the same thing, but um, it'll give them an opportunity to kind of come out uh, better on the other side. You know, the funny thing about all this, and I don't mean funny in a humorous way in that, you know, we've got a lot of people losing their jobs and being affected by this. What I'm looking at is I think it's a case of people being short-sighted. You had the pandemic where the gaming industry was in demand and these people were worked and worked and worked to get these games out so the consumers had product during the time that they were all sitting home. And then I'm going to go back to the thing that I've long railed against, and this is lack of participation at conventions. The gaming companies said, oh, we don't need to do this. We don't need the cost of going to a convention. We don't need the difficulties of having to make sure that we have builds playable or showable by a certain date. We don't need the props, the swag, all of this stuff, the cost of the floor, the travel, the entertainment. I'm saying BS, you do. And the market's showing you that right now. People don't want talking heads doing shtick while they run a reel of a carefully edited video. That cannot replace showing the game right there in front of people and saying, this is it, yeah, it's a work in progress, but we have confidence in our game enough to spend money and bring it to you here. We'll take a pre-order on the spot, put your hands on it, look it over, play it, get excited for it, tell your friends, and, oh, yeah, if you want to drop some money on it, go ahead and do it. That's all gone. I'm looking at the PAX East lineup right now. It is all indies. There's not one notable publisher. I mean, yes, there's Atari and stuff, but when I say no Blizzard, no Bethesda, no Microsoft, which is under that uh, thing, none of the Sony companies, none of the Nintendo companies, no Capcom, no Square Enix, no Ubisoft. You, there's a prime example. Look at Ubisoft. Skull and Bones, not selling as expected. Avatar, not selling as expected. Don't know about the Prince of Persia one. Don't know about the sales numbers for um, the last Assassin's Creed. They're not exactly lighting up things. What can you look at? Well, people can say the games aren't as good. Maybe there's a glut. Can't say people are out of work. The economy's solid right now. People are working. People have money. Games are out there. People just aren't buying them. You look at uh, several games that were released recently, and the companies have had to come out and say, yeah, you know what? We didn't quite meet our expectations for this. And the only thing I keep coming back to is you're not promoting them properly. You're not going back to giving people hands-on live events to get excited over. And I understand you're trying to cut money. I understand you're trying to keep jobs. You can't just run a trailer 
And then on top of this, I'm seeing this here, and I'm, I'm going to say it. I know people probably are not going to want me saying this. You've got these PR firms that are hitting you up. Put out our game. Put out our game. Suicide Squad. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then come review time, they all run and hide. They give their review codes to their cherry-picked friends. And when you come out and say, hey, 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 hold on a second here. You know, we gave you all this coverage here. Where's our code? Silence. And yet they have the audacity to keep coming to you saying, here's our next press release for the game that we didn't give you a review code for. Put it out. I know we're in the category where we're saying, no, we're not going to promote your game if you're not, you know, working with us. I know several other independent companies that are saying the same. So you're not taking care of the media who you need to promote them. And you're not doing trade shows. You're not doing conventions. And you're shocked that your $69.99 games aren't finding a market? There you go. And, oh, yeah, we're cranking out the same stuff all the time. Again, there you go. And that is, I think, the big problem right now. It's you've got very talented people who are working very hard to put out games in a very awkward situation. But as it was when I was working in the game industry years ago, as it is now, you have bean counters who are more concerned about appeasing the stockholders and the bottom line and getting their bonus than they do with what is right for the industry. And that is put quality games out, promote them properly, let people have an idea of what the game is so they know that they can play it. You know, I, I still go back to Redfall. I, I, yeah, I know it was buggy beyond belief. I do not think it was nearly the bad game that people made it out to be, and I played it through from start to finish, bugs and all. Now, that was one that, A, right before it came out, the PR just all disappeared from it, nothing. I went and played it on Game Pass for the PC. I still, to this day, think if the game in A had more time to be more stable at launch, and B, had some kind of PR tour at an E3-type situation where there was, you know, like an elaborate, probably would have sold significantly better. And that's where it is right now. I mean, it's basically, I'm sitting here looking at these games, and this is literally the promotion, folks. I get an email. Here's the game. Here's a link to trailers. Here's a link to the photo. Please share on your social media or your site. Okay, so you do that. Now, some of them, the indie companies, are very big about, hey, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. The larger games act like it is they're doing you a favor by allowing you to post this. You post the trailers up. Hey, I got a question. We got things coming up. I'm going to also lay it out there. We've got panels coming out at various gaming conventions, big conventions, uh, like WonderCon, like Phoenix Fan Fusion. I wrote some companies that I dealt with, reps, not, you know, hey, we've got this coming up we'd like to see about including you. I got, we're not interested in attending conventions. Okay, I'm not asking you to attend a convention. I'm doing the panel. I'd like to just know if there's anything you want us to include. Silence. We'll let you know. We don't have anything at this time. And then again, we don't go to conventions unless we're actually putting them on. And we have no, and it's like, I'm asking you if you want to, as a courtesy, give me a game that you're interested in promoting that I could put it for. Here you get it. A rabid collection of fans who are interested in gaming. And guess what? It's not going to cost you a thin dime. And you're copping me an attitude and wondering why I even bother. Whereas we have other companies that are writing and saying, 
thank you so much. We'll see what we can find and we can get you. And even if we can't, thank you so much for thinking about us. Big difference. That shows you where the industry is now. The big guys basically say, screw you. Whatever we put out, you'll jump for. And guess what? People are not jumping, and now the layoffs are happening. So end of, end of my rant. End of my rant. But that's what I'm seeing. So let's talk about that. E3's gone. And yet I'm hearing news now that IGN is looking at doing, as they call it, a live event in June in Los Angeles. Huh, sounds familiar. That's going to have members of the media, members of the public, hands-on displays, and so on. Sounds to me like what Summer Game Fest tried to do last year, but that also became cherry-picked individuals who were going to write nice about us and not a whole on full event like E3. Uh, if companies aren't getting excited about PAX and they're not going to that, what faith do we have that they are going to take part in this little event? So uh, real quick, just and we'll start with you. Do you have any thoughts about what this might all turn into? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a sad case too, because um, you know, E three was a very special event, and it was something that uh, you know gamers could look forward to every year. It was, everyone knew this; that was the event where the biggest reveals would would happen. Um, and you know, I, I not to like you know put them completely off the hook. I think the way it was managed it they could have i think salvaged the event um in some capacity but you know that's a that's a hindsight 2020 situation you could point to all sorts of cases of of um different companies or institutions that that could have you know made decisions uh differently but um given the facts on the ground at the time uh, you you can't really uh, give them a, a fair shake. So not, not to, uh, kick the ESA while it's down, but, um, it, I think this does show that the, the appetite for an event in June is still there. Um, I think this is obvious because oh, with the, the summer games fest with, uh, Jeff Keeley's event, um, which a lot of people cite as, as one of the things that, that really did, uh, end up killing E3. Uh, I think people sort of expect, summer reveals and it, it it really makes sense i mean it, it's just timing because of uh the holiday season is when the biggest uh releases are going to happen so your biggest blockbuster video games and likely your hardware is like is going to probably release somewhere in the holiday season or uh, in early in the next year and so you're going to probably do your reveals and kick off your your biggest marketing in the summer. Uh, so just timing wise, it has always made sense that you're going to be doing, you know, some really big events in, in June and you're going to need some kind of platform to do it. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, th one of probably the biggest thing that killed E3, unfortunately was, was obviously COVID. Um, not to say they weren't struggling before that, but COVID really just destroyed uh, a lot of live events and, you know, Thankfully, we're kind of more in a normal situation now. Obviously, it's still around, but I think, you know, conventions are happening again. There's uh, many cases of successful live convention events. Um, Comic-Con is back. Comic-Con is, is going on uh, as normal. We, we have uh, um, CinemaCon as well is, is going on as normal. So 
it's definitely possible to do a big event like E3 in the summer, um, but you just need the right, I guess, group to do it, to put it on, and to get everybody on board. And that was really the other probably biggest factor that killed E3 was that uh, I think the ESA was willing to do go through the effort to put uh, put on a live event, but there's too many big companies that want to do things their own way. So they, they want to either rent out their own space somewhere else. Um, you know, at the same time, that was kind of common towards the end of E3. So you'd have a company kind of uh, rent out a different uh, a venue in the same city and run a, run an event at the same time. Or um, what became even more common, don't even uh, uh, attend in person, but instead uh, just do kind of like a live or a uh, either a live broadcast, like a Nintendo Direct or a State of Play, um, or something where it's recorded and you kind of just show it at the same time, and it makes it co- sort of appear like it's a a live event, uh, and you do your big reveals like that. So um, I, I again, you know, just not not to reiterate what you already said, but I think what it comes down to is it's a cost cutting measure. Um, you can kind of like have your cake and eat it too situation where you're not spending as much to attend in person, but you kind of like, because you're doing it at the same time in some capacity, you kind of get away with, uh, you know, I'm revealing my biggest games and my, my next hardware, um, uh, at the summer event, but it's really not, um, in person, but hopefully, I don't know. I, Obviously, I don't think the IGN event is going to be the next E3. I think what's hap- what's going to be happening now is you're going to have like probably several mini E3s in the summer because again, summer is just the best time to reveal your stuff uh, for the holiday season. Um, and you're going to have this kind of, I guess the my analogy for this, it's going to be like what's happened with streaming services where instead of everything happening through Netflix, it's basically split up among like a gazillion streaming services that are all kind of cutting up the pie. Uh, I think that's, what's going to happen now with, with, uh, with events in the summer, you're not going to have one big event. You're going to have several smaller events, but effectively together, you're going to get your biggest reveals in the summer. Well, that sounds pretty accurate. Joey Z, what do you make of all this? It's kind of mind boggling to me, to be honest. Uh, I agree that you really could run a three-day convention for anything in the summer in Los Angeles, and you could probably draw a crowd. I would not have guessed that they would take a shot at kind of replacing that thirst that everyone has for new games in the summer, especially after E3. You know, I feel like almost getting a peek behind the curtain of how the gaming industry has changed. Because, I mean, E3 died because everyone pulled out. They said, we don't want it. We don't want to be there whether it be money or we don't trust the system at this point. And now IGN has said, well, you know what? Why don't we go with more of a Twitch-like experience where we get, you know, we get streamers, we get, you know, talent, parties, networking opportunities for the people that show up, some attractions, maybe some first looks at stuff, maybe a couple of headliners from maybe games or television and movies that you've seen. And we'll pitch that as almost like, you know, kind of like how PAX does it with a con. But I'm confused on why this seems more successful than what other companies have tried to do in the past. I'm missing something. I feel like there's got to be some, you know, variable that they've decided that's going to work this time. Maybe it's also just a shot to fill a space that's gone now, and they're kind of poaching what could be a, a market there. 
but uh, I would not have seen this coming. I mean, but like I said, you know, L.A., three days in the summer, you, you can't go wrong. It's, it's a huge population. People will fly to see it. It's a great destination. And, you know, maybe that is really their, their pull. They're thinking, you know what, this is a great thing to do for three days. You know, come spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday with us. We'll, we'll treat it like a, a convention, and people will want to come, and they'll want to play games. They'll want to get excited about stuff. But, again, I worry if you don't provide headliners – or things that capture people that will make the press that won't have us sitting here in June or July and going, hey, did you see that nothing was revealed? You know, it scares me to think that because then it's like, well, is that the death knell for everything now? Are we gonna look at packs down the line and think, wow, do you remember when we saw that, I, you know, the IGN event and nothing happened? And I don't. These things scare me, but you know, we'll, we'll hold on. We'll see what we can find out. You know, there, like like Justin said, summer reveals can be great, so we'll see. Yeah, it, it's crazy to actually think about all of this stuff. But uh, switching gears to close out on a little more of a positive note. And we have got news that Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files, has given his blessing to the long-discussed uh, new reboot of the X-Files. Now, this is not uh, the... Um, animated one or the X-Files Albuquerque one, but he gave Ryan Cogler his blessing to do a reboot. Now, uh, Ryan has basically implied that the new X-Files will be uh, multicultural, diverse, and take things in a, you know, a more modernized setting. Uh, while I'm curious about the idea for more X-Files, I understand that you have to move on with new people, I'm not sure it's going to be as easy to capture the intensity of the original. And I kind of compare this to The Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone. We had several attempts to reboot The Twilight Zone. Some of the episodes were quite good. They were not anywhere near what the original Rod Serling's were. Outer Limits, we had several really good ones. Showtime, you know, said, hey, let's go for an R-rated take where we can show some nudity. We can show... Uh, graphic violence had good episodes. None of them still as good as the original Outer Limits. So, uh, Joey Z, what do you think about the idea of a new uh, X-Files? I can't say I'm excited. I want to be. I want to be excited. It's tough. X-Files shined in the 90s because it captured this kind of hunger people had for mind-bending FBI special agents looking into things that you wouldn't normally see that had to do with that kind of science fiction-esque, you know, uh, genre that we were looking into. Nowadays, I feel like, you know, we have so much more information, and maybe they can do a little bit of the aliens, but I don't know if it's going to capture that scary vibe, you know, that you got when they were really, like, looking into things like, oh, what's going to happen next? I mean, they had a lot of seasons even back in the 90s. So I, I don't know if they're going to be able to innovate. Maybe something on AI, maybe something on uh, lizard people. I don't know. You got me. But, you know, I'll, I'll at least give it a shot because I did love the original X-Files so much. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be able to recapture that, that feeling I had back when I was younger. Yeah. And, uh, Justin, what do you make about all this? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think unfortunately with a lot of these it, it's a, a I, I think that's a perfect way to put it i want to be excited but um it's a remain a wait and see but i i'm also i think my default is always to to set my expectations just a little low i mean i i don't i don't uh have super low expectations for everything but 
oftentimes I will kind of expect, um, you know, a little low so that uh, I can be pleasantly surprised. But I do think that there is a tendency with a lot of these uh, revisiting old uh, older franchise, it's really difficult to capture what made it special. Um, and I, I think with both of those, X-Files, um, yeah, Twilight Zone, another great example, and Outer Limits, a lot of them are products of their time, you know, particularly with X-Files. Um, it was a very, very 90s show. It had a very 90s feel to it. And it's, that's difficult to put into words and kind of break down what it, what exactly, what does that mean? Why does, why, what about it is a product of the 90s and makes it difficult to replicate? Um, you know, and especially if you, if you're going to modernize it and then you're trying to balance, uh, okay, you have to make it, um, appeal to modern audiences, but also stay true to the original because you're trying to appease the, the, the existing fan base. And oftentimes you'll, what you'll end up finding is the existing fan base will say, okay, well, it was pretty, it was pretty well made. It was pretty good, but it just didn't, it wasn't the same. Um, you know, the, the example I got to go back to for this, I think a, a perfect, product of its time series is uh the matrix so the matrix movies uh were amazing i love the matrix movies but uh i think you heard a lot of that with with the newest one with the with the sequel is that um it just it just didn't really quite feel the same it just didn't quite capture uh what made the matrix special so hopefully they are able to um kind of capture like the what kind of made the the twilight zone or not twilight zone uh the x-files so captivating um you know uh but i suppose we'll have to see how how it turns out absolutely and i think that is going to do it for us tonight folks we covered a lot of topics we had a lot of uh, stuff to look at that is for sure so uh be safe be well and we look forward to talking to you again next week take care